Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we are picking up in verse 8 tonight. Definitely on Wednesday night, it's a good time to have your Bibles as we go verse by verse and just share the Word of God. I know we love to hear sermons from maybe the Gospel of John or the book of Romans, but we're going to talk about a subject that we don't talk often about, but it's in God's Word, and so we ought to, and... So in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, last week we shared the first seven verses, and Solomon, after taking us all around the world and all of his experiences in this world with with everything that he had to, to have the fullest experience of this world he could possibly have, he ended up... He ended up without satisfaction. I mean, all of his money and all of his power, and he could not find fulfillment or contentment. And after we left that trip around the world with him, he took us into the house of God. And we talked about a a certain action, our behavior, in the house of God. What our attention should be on in the house of God. Adoration for God. There's a name when we come to the house of God. I was just thinking during that, that last song of praise that we sang to the Lord, I, I just hope that, that that lifted up someone already. I don't know what kind of week everyone has had or what kind of day we've had, but to be able to sing praises together to His name, I pray that has, has blessed someone and helped someone already. Maybe I'm saying that because I didn't get to do that Sunday morning or Sunday night, and it's been a week since I've been able to gather with God's people. I, I didn't get to go Tuesday morning and sing praises with God's people, and it was good, and I, and I hope it was good for others. And, and so we received instruction for when we go to the house of God. There's a right way to enter into the presence of the house of God, and there's a wrong way. There's another subject that there's some right in and some good in, and there's some wrong in and there's some bad in it as well. And just to kind of get our minds there, just, just a simple little thought. Somebody wrote, the lifespan of a dollar. A dollar spent on lunches lasts about five hours. I don't know, I'm a little, I'm a little hungry before five hours is up. That's a big lunch. But, but a, a dollar spent on lunch lasts about five hours. You get the point. A dollar spent on a necktie lasts about five weeks. I've had some for 15 years. This isn't good for me. But, but we're going to get the point here. A dollar spent on a cap will last about five months. A dollar spent on a car will last about five years. A dollar spent on, the, on a railroad will last about five decades. 
A dollar spent on God's services, on service to God, will last for eternity. There's a right way to handle riches, whatever wealth we have, and, and positive results. And then there's a, a wrong way to handle our, our wealth and negative results that come from that. And, and so we're going to talk about the burden of riches tonight for a while. And then we're going to sum it up with the blessing of riches. And so in verses 8 through 17, we're going to look at the burden of riches. As we share this word on the burden of riches, let us remember what God has going on here and who God is using to write this word. A very wealthy man. We can't imagine the wealth of Solomon. And, and what he went out in the world with that experiment to do with all of his wealth. And God is using him. He experienced the burden of having riches. You know, we, we often hear about the positives of having, you know, money. And I mean, it'll take care of some things. It'll take care of some bills. And it'll, it'll take care of some health bills. Not the health, but... But health bills and different things like that, it'll, it'll do some good. And we talk a lot about the positives about it, but we seldom hear about the negatives of riches. So as Solomon gives a rare spoken side of this subject tonight, we, we really ought to listen. We ought to listen because it's God's Word and it's what God wants us to hear and we can consider God's man who misused them and God is using him to share his Word. So we ought to listen. And the first thing about it is don't be surprised. We're talking about the burden of riches and in verse 8 it says, If thou seest the oppression, we've already been here and, and talked about that once in this book, if thou seest the oppression of the poor and violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. People always have and always will abuse the ability that comes with riches. It's, it's, it's always happened. Worldwide, there is oppression. There is the mistreatment upon those who are lacking, those who are without. And it could be avoided in one way if people wouldn't try to control with their riches and, and use it in the wrong way. It's now, and what I'm talking about, it's worse in other countries, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist right here on some level, and it does. There, there always needs to be order in a nation, but there seems to be the sin of selfishness that comes with having much, and it will lead to the negative outcome of oppression. Something else on this, it's 
It says not to marvel over this. You know, what good would it do us if we plunged our lives into these injustices and we had tunnel vision and we just focused on injustices on a few or a certain sect or, you know, even if it's all kinds of injustices. That's not what God has in mind for us. Anytime Jesus Christ is not the main aim in our lives and our main passion. We're getting off track. Even if it is a good cause. Even if it is something cruel that has disgusted Solomon by the oppression that he has seen. If we can't go getting obsessed in any one area and having our hearts and our minds taken off of Jesus Christ, we shouldn't marvel We shouldn't be astonished. We shouldn't be surprised at this oppression because Adam passed on a sin nature to every single one of us. And those who act in their sin nature who are not saved, they're acting natural. Oppression is natural for someone out of their sin nature. I tell you what, the answer to all the problems is to be born again in Jesus Christ. One person at a time, born again in Jesus, receive Jesus as Savior. You're a new creation then. Marvel not at these things that that cause oppression. Don't be surprised. We shouldn't be uh, overcome by this trouble within us. Because, and, and how do we do that? Maybe there's someone here or listening online who, who's obsessed with a, a, a certain issue in politics or something. And I mean, you're just, you're just eating it and sleeping it and breathing it and living it. And, and, it's got, and it has your mind off of focus. Or, you know, whether it be maybe injustices like being spoken of here. What do we do about that? Well, look at what he has said here. Don't, don't marvel at the matter, for he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. They've got to answer. They've got to answer to him that is higher than the highest. Everyone's going to answer to God. God is a good scorekeeper. And he is... He is a Savior full of grace. And one day, He's going to be a judge full of perfect justice for for any and all of these things. Let's look at verse 9 on this subject and, and just to see what's so wrong with oppression. It says, Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The King Himself is served by the field. Let me first say what, what came to my mind that this doesn't mean that I heard in politics some years back, and that is that everyone ought to be on the same exact income level. Those who, I heard this silly stuff in politics about, about those who have worked really hard and have their own company. It's not really theirs. They didn't, they didn't really do that. And, 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 and those who, who haven't worked hard and everybody ought to be on the same level that way. That's not what this is saying. But, but there is, there is God 
our Father who promises to meet needs. And, and so let's balance that out with, with what's said here. Let me read again. Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. Everything that the earth produces, it's for everyone. God never intended for some to have and to keep more than they could ever use and for others to have absolutely nothing. Everything the earth produces that we need to live by, it is for everyone. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. And He is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Let me just say what came to my mind one of the first times I read that. Everyone is blessed. The saved, God's children are blessed. Those who do not know the Lord, they are blessed. They don't acknowledge that. There's nothing personal for them in a relationship with the Lord. Their sins aren't forgiven, but they're blessed. God, God is, is generous and He gives. Look, look at the king. You know, when you think about the different levels of things... Look at what they point out here in the end of verse 9. The king himself is served by the field. The king needs the same nourishment that the beggar on the street needs. The lowly farmer should be honored by the king. I wonder how often that happens. You know, the vegetables on the table... And, it, and, and if it weren't for the farmer, the king wouldn't have him. How, how often is he grateful for that? For the daily provisions that he has. The king and those in his category never seem to acknowledge or appreciate them though. Satisfied is a, is a big point that we find throughout this book. And, and we see a, a lack of satisfaction in verse 10 It says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. The burden of riches to those who misuse them, it's never enough. I I forget who said it, but someone was asked, you know, when, when are you satisfied with what you have? Or how much does it take to be, that's it, how much does it take to be satisfied? And this fellow said, just a little bit more. And that's always the case. Just a little bit more. I, I don't, I say that I don't often quote secular songs, but but I can remember the last time I said it, so maybe I do quote them every now and then. For a good reason, though. I mean, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up on Christian music. I grew up in the little country music radio was always playing in the house. And I, I'm a little bitty kid, and I didn't know the, anything about the words of the song. But it said something about this guy wanting to satisfy this girl's 14-carat mind. And, 
And, and, and a line to that song came to my mind from my childhood. Everything except my soul has been surrendered just to satisfy your 14 karat mind. I wish I could remember the rest of the song because I reckon that girl, she wasn't satisfied no matter what he tried to do to satisfy her with, with material things and things of that nature. Accumulating wealth, for the sake of accumulating wealth, that just, it, it brings misery. It says in verse 10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. Loving these, these things, this wealth, it doesn't satisfy. It can never bring health. You can't buy health, in other words. You can't buy peace. You can't buy contentment. Therefore, it never satisfies. That doesn't mean that riches can't be used for God's glory. It can. I've said before, it's been a long time, but I said before, one fellow said, you can't do the Lord's work without Jesus and money. And I didn't like that. It just didn't sit well with me. Until I thought about it, and he's right. I mean, they can be... If you were to listen to me preach the first three years of my ministry, you wouldn't have heard me say that, that, that riches can be used for God's glory. I knew it was true, but I just wouldn't say it. But it's true. I, I mean, and really good... For lack of a better way to say it, really good Christians have usually been those without much. But there are exceptions to the rule. There are those that God has given much to, and they use it for God's glory. There are Christians who never pursued riches, but they they ended up having it, and they used it in a godly way. They used it for God's glory, and it it gave Him praise. Here a while back in this book, I, I mentioned this fellow who who said that, he, Lord, I will be a missionary if you want me to be a missionary. I will preach. I surrender my life to you, Lord. And he didn't go on missions, and he didn't become a preacher. He became a very successful Christian businessman in the midst of the darkness of the riches of this city of Houston where people had so much money that they didn't think they needed God. And he took the gospel of Jesus Christ on the job to those people. And his son became a preacher. And having a dad with the example that he was, he had riches and God was his father and he had nothing without God. And it led that young preacher to go to this is all personal but you don't know the church or the person but it, but it just hits home with all of this he went to the person what do you want to say the biggest giver in the church whatever it was whatever you want to say and he only came to church about once a month he gave more than anybody else it led that young preacher with the dad with an example like that to go to him and say you know I haven't seen you in a while. And I just want to say that God wants your time. And God wants your talents as well as your tithe. God bless him. You you know what that man did? He hung his head. And he said, you're exactly right. And I needed to hear that. 
Riches will not satisfy. They can be used for God's glory. To be rich, though, and to not be right with God, it it does not satisfy. It doesn't satisfy anyway. only, Only the Lord satisfies. Verses 11 and 12, there's no sweet sleep. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. The money of the ungodly will not buy a peaceful night's rest. It won't do it. There's no real rest and there's no real friends. People won't really care for them. Those who would would try to buy their friends. There's not going to be real friendships. There's not going to be true care. There was an athlete... And in the peak of his career, he described his life as people everywhere. Always people at his house. He called them friends. They were so-called friends. They were always around him. At his sporting events, they were always crowded all around him. The last big event he had, he was paid $15 million for it. It was known before the event ever happened, that he was $20 million in debt. There wasn't a big entourage with him as he came out to the sporting event that he was a part of. The friends were all gone. There was no one by his side. You know, the rich can not only hurt others with oppression, but but others can, can hurt the rich. The riches can bring harm upon the rich. Let's look at, the, at no eternal substance as we consider the burden of the riches in verses 13 through 17. Listen as I read. It says, There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. You know, our investment in the Word of God must come above the investment of any wealth or any business that we partake in in this world. You know... If we don't lose our riches in this life, if we gain some, we're going to lose them when it's all over here on this earth. They're going to be gone. But our riches from God's Word 
and our riches from good works, we're going to have those for eternity. You know, someone bluntly said one day, someone's going to put us in a box and close the lid. Someone added, without our earthly riches. But the child of God, serving the Lord in the will of God, will always have heavenly riches. Faithful to the Lord, serving Him. There's no better place for the Lord to have than first place in our lives. As a matter of fact, He accepts nothing less than first place. He doesn't need anything from us, but we give Him the first, and that's an expression of, well, it's obedience to the Lord, and it's, I trust you. I don't trust any substance, material things I could ever have. I trust you, Lord. I trust you above all else. There's no better place for the Lord to have than first place. There's, there's, a, there's a burden with riches. We don't talk about that much. But let's close real quick with the blessing of riches in verses 18 through 20. Somebody said, no, I want to talk about this a long time. Well, we're going to close up with it, 18 through 20. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. The intended souvenir we, we look at here, Concerning the blessing of riches. In verse 18, he says, enjoy the good. Verse 19, he says, rejoice in labor. Verse 20 speaks of joy in the heart. In a right relationship with the Lord, having our mind and having our money, having our riches focused on Him and what He intends it for, we're able to have joy in our lives and have a little jingle in our pockets. The jingle doesn't bring us joy. But whenever God is more important than that, that brings joy to the Christian's life. When everything takes its proper place in our lives, the temptation to trust in something other than the Lord, when we overcome that and our trust is in the Lord and we can use whatever He gives us for His glory, that's joy. That's when we have joy in our lives, when we use it as wise stewards for Him, when we work hard, then we can in, enjoy life. Not enjoy it so much, it's, it's enjoying life. Because joy does not come from riches. Joy is a, is a spiritual thing, and, and joy comes from heaven to our hearts. Joy comes from the Lord. There's joy in loving God more than riches. Using it in a righteous way, and knowing that we would be rich with it, or rich without it. The child of God, the joyful child of God, 
knows that no matter what's in the bank account, no matter what we have, it doesn't matter how big that number is or how low that number is, we have joy in the Lord, the intended souvenir, the infinite supplier. We, we read phrases through what we just shared that God giveth him, God hath given riches and wealth. In the, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says, It is the Lord that giveth thee power to get wealth. Praise God for the child of God that gets it and knows after they've got it that it is from the Lord. God giveth him. God hath given riches and wealth. It is the gift of God. Every good And perfect gift is from above and cometh from the Father of lights, it says in James. There's the the blessing of riches when it's used for God's glory. There's the burden of riches when it's misused and used in the wrong way. There's a message here to heed the warning of riches and manage them in a way that gives God glory and it that'll give us joy. And and as I think about and as I thought about what we're going to share tonight, somebody might be thinking, well, you know, this message just missed me. You can't put my name and rich in the same sentence and make any sense at all. Well, I tell you what, if you're a child of God tonight, you we can do that very thing. And so I have one verse I'd like to close with in James chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He hath promised to them that love Him? Rich in faith. We are so rich in the Lord Jesus Christ with riches that are greater than anything in this world. I, th- I, think, of, I think of a sister from long ago, and I sure wanted her to join the church that I pastored, same church that Kevin was a member of, and... I'm sure she was on a pension, fixed income and all that, but I wanted that rich woman to join the church. She kept up with the prayer requests of the church more than us, and she wasn't even a member. She just came over on Sunday nights because her church didn't have Sunday night service. And she would come in with her list, and it was, she was very convincing that she was praying to the Lord for those requests in the church. And I thought, oh, I wish this rich woman would come join the church. Rich in faith. You're, you, you might think something missed you here tonight, but we're all rich with the greatest riches if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And with that, I'm going to ask Brother Kevin Bolding if he will close us in a word of prayer. And then I'm headed upstairs over there to see somebody on their, for their birthday tonight.